Welcome to the It Crowd podcast, where technology leaders converge with the boardroom elite. In this digital hub, the pulse of cybersecurity, mobility, managed services, and networking comes alive. Here, innovators and decision makers unite, forging a dynamic dialogue for tomorrow's success. So whether you're a tech aficionado or a C-suite strategist, this is your platform. Join host Richard Rodriguez and Josh Lowry as they bridge these worlds, curating insights and fostering a collaborative dialogue. The It Crowd podcast is proudly brought to you by the following sponsors. ClearSync Solutions, unifying your technology solutions with simplicity. From M&A integration to global connectivity, cybersecurity to managed services, we're your comprehensive partner aligning your business goals with technology for energy, oil and gas, and financial service firms. Trust our proven track record. ClearSync Solutions, one ClearSync, countless possibilities. eCentire. The authority in managed detection and response protects the critical data and applications of our customers from the known and unknown cyber threats by providing exposure management, managed detection and response, as well as incident response services designed to build your organization's cyber resilience and prevent business disruptions. By combining open XDR platform technology, 24-7 threat hunting, and proven security operation leadership, eCentire's award-winning MDR services and team of experts help organize organizations anticipate, withstand, and recover from cyber attacks. Evolve IP. Evolve IP is the only provider that can start with a single remote hybrid workforce solution and grow the account into a multi-solution contract. Evolve IP delivers integrated work anywhere technologies that enable IT departments to do more with less by getting them out of the PC, BBX, and VPN business. By leveraging our underlying providers, Microsoft, Cisco, VMware, and Citrix, Evolve IP offers services in four categories. Microsoft Teams Direct Routing, Virtual Desktop, Virtual Servers, Disaster Recovery, Backup as a Service, and O365 Azure. Contract Centers, Customer Experience, Leveraging Data as a Service, and any CCAS provider without a VPN or corporate-owned PC. Put us up against any standalone Microsoft Teams, Cisco WebEx, VDI-Data-as-a-Service, VCast, or CCAST vendor. You'll find that Evolve IP offers the best support, fully optimized solutions, and the ability to consistently grow the account so you can make more money. Welcome to the It Crowd podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, with a co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Richard Rodriguez. How are you, Richard? I'm doing great. How are you, Josh? I'm good. I'm good. I think I say this every single time, but I, I just hate doing the intro. I have to look at the camera and remember everything I'm supposed to say. And I know it's not that much to say, but it's just it's just a lot. That's why you have that job. It's a lot. It's a lot. I got things written down just in case I screwed up and... Anywho, anywho, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Things are good. Good. We were talking off camera a little bit today. We don't like to timestamp these things because podcasts last forever, but it's kind of a, a good time. And this will this this isn't a bad thing to timestamp because we're going to be talking about some pretty timely things with cybersecurity on the show today. But yesterday or this last weekend really is the beginning of college football. Uh, UT, which is your alma mater, yes. just had a huge win versus Alabama. Finally. Finally, big win. But I'm always nervous. Like it's great. Yeah. But you always have that anxiety because you're like, oh god. Now we're like, let's don't lose to like Wyoming or let's not lose to like Kansas. I mean, you're you're also a a Dallas Cowboys fan, which you've lived with that anxiety for 30 years. (laughs) 
every season. Okay, yes. so I'm a Cowboys fan as well. So it's been a rough, you know, yes. three decades. We my whole life is on anxiety yeah. all the time. <laughs> Cybersecurity, <laughs> IT issues. Running That's a good point. Sure. Yeah, try to start a business. Sports isn't relaxing. It's just, just full all PTSD time. at all times. Pegged all times. Just add in some other thing. Well, listen, I mean, great game. That quarterback, I really enjoyed kind of his post-game interview. I thought he handled it really well. And uh, kind of when he was done, he goes into the crowd. You just realize, like, this is how I know I'm getting old, is I watched him go into the crowd, and he looked young. He looked really, like, he looked like he was a college kid going to hang out. And I always like to think that I'm still just, just on the cusp of getting out of college. I know that I'm not. <laughs> and when I watched him, I was like, that young man looks like he's having a really good time. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm old. When did it happen? You don't realize it till you have a moment like that, and you're like, "I know." When the hell did that happen? I'm like, "This young man needs to be in bed. <laughs> He's got an early flight. What's going on here?" <laughs> well, this is going to be a great show. Um, we are. I guess we should have told our guests. We didn't. We for, we did forget one important fact of when we get ready. Uh, we talk to each other for a couple minutes and ignore the guest before the show, which is pretty. Um, but we didn't explain that to you. You're probably going, why do they invite me on this show? Are you ready to be brought in officially to this podcast? I guess. You know, I was just enjoying y'all talking talking along the way. So, <laughs> uh, Richard, do you want to do the, uh, the intro honors here? Sure. So today we have James Morrison, 20-plus um, year, retired uh, FBI. And now we're uh, doing a multitude of things, yep. as we found out, uh, <laughs> in 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 addition to uh, working for Intellisys, uh, being a professor at uh, Lone Star College, um, and then other side activities. <laughs> uh, a busy, a very busy man. So we're very grateful to for your time today and, uh, you know, coming down and talk to us. No, he, absolutely. He yeah. is, and actually, just to be clear, his, his um, stated title is National Security Specialist and Evangelist, which is... I think I've only talked to you for a little bit getting ready for this and done some prep prep work, but that's a great title. And I would like, if you don't mind, just because we want to go back to how you got to that title. Yeah. But if you don't mind just giving the audience, what is the, uh, that title and what does that mean to you, if you don't mind? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I look at is from cybersecurity is is we understand the need, right? So there, that's the easy part now, but it's it's about how do we drive the messaging of cybersecurity? And so evangelist is, is really that term of, of not just talking about it, but really carrying a banner of, of getting out in front of people and, and helping them understand the, the cybersecurity landscape and how to navigate that. And I, I was a CISO for a little while, I was a chief security officer for a little while for a company, and I recognized that the, they're, they're overwhelmed. You know, executives in the world today, especially in cybersecurity, are overwhelmed and they don't know where to start. So I, my role is to get out, help them navigate that, help them, you know, ease their mind. You're talking about anxiety, right? right. And PTSD of, you know, from college football. <laughs> but there's, you know, but there's a lot of anxiety around, you know, when a new project comes up of, of where, what do I do? Where do I start? How do I navigate 4,200 cybersecurity vendors? So as an evangelist and as a specialist, my job is to help at a product agnostic level. I want to talk to people with, we're not talking about tech. Don't, right. I don't want to hear logo. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to first talk about, and we were saying this a little earlier, what is the, what is the strategy and the outcome you're driving right. to, and how can I help you map to that outcome versus just selling you a tech? That doesn't right. make any sense. So when I hear that, I hear passion is what I really hear. 
You have yeah, a passion I mean, for it's, telling it's, the story. It's, yeah, it is. And there's a lot of stories, right? Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, 22 years in the FBI and the eight years I worked cyber, cyber crime. I have a lot of bad stories of, of what not to do um, and how even tech fails. That was almost a perfect lead in. You almost just handled the entire interview yourself right there <laughs> when you went back to 22 years. If you don't mind that, now kind of jumping back a little bit, give yeah. the audience just some background on how you, you were able yeah. to get to this point where you are today. Well, and even further back, tomorrow is 35 years when I entered the Air Force. Okay. Um, and it was networks and computers. Um, 1988, you know, was the beginning of it. And the FB Air Force was looking for people that, and I was, I had messed with it. So I was like, here, sounds like a great thing. But think, think about where communications was, you know, where at that point, we were still dial up. We were still doing very low speed circuits, all of the world that we live in, we don't know today. Um, and so I got in to the internet before it was the internet, you know, back the mill net and all that, and really started, loved it, felt, had a, developed a passion for networks and cybersecurity, even at that point, security around the military messaging, um, system administration, you know, diving into at the time Unix and, and some of that really cool stuff. And then yeah, after eight years of that, I finished an engineering degree and I was like, it's time to go. I was an enlisted guy and, um, you know, it was time for me to look for something else. Tried the defense contract and hated it. I, I hated that marketplace just because I felt like I wasn't serving the customer. And so I answered an ad in the paper. Uh, you know, I found an ad in the paper and it said, I, I didn't. What's the paper? A newspaper. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> I still have it. I still have this little, little blip and it says FBI need system administrator apply here. Really? It was literally like six lines. And I was like, well, I need a job. And I was in Albuquerque at the time. I was in New Mexico at the time. And I was like, I need a job. And that looks like a good job. And I, people go, how did you go to the FBI? I was like, I needed a job. I mean, I had a young family. I had a, you know, my wife and we were pregnant with our second kid at the time. And so I applied and nine months later they called me and they said, you still wanted this job. Oh man, that is. It was a nine month process of, of doing, they do their own security clearances. Sure. They don't trust the one I had in the military. And so I came in and I came in as a techie, a technologist. Um, and they were, you know, there was a joke in the FBI that said, yes, so what are we, we're talking you know, what? 94, 97. Okay. 97. And, uh, with the joke at the that's time, a cool was, time to, I would imagine that's a very cool time to be going into this. There's a lot yeah. of internet bubble or internet of things happening at that time. It was right. It was sort of that beginning of, we were just starting to come out right. of that, of that, uh, the dial-ups were just starting to die and we're just starting to go into right. the high speed. <laughs> high <connections>. speed. <laughs> And, and Y2K's coming around the corner, right? So there's this, you know, this, at the time, people were terrified about it. Well, even the military? Uh, even the military, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody was really like, well, you know, what do we know? We don't know, is an unknown unknown. And so, so Y2K comes and like, okay, nothing happens. And we're like, oh, whew, what happens like a year later? 9-11, yeah. we're sitting on, you know, we're, you know, 9-11 happens and the world changes. And, and really, and then we start to see this rise of internet uh, commerce in that same time frame in the 2000s. And as, as, the, as we know about criminal activity in particular, criminals go where the money is. That was, I think, John Dillinger, that's one of his fav famous lines that he said, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And so the, 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 the activity starts changing, you know, and so when I go, when I move over into cybercrime in 2012, the FBI finally recognized, they said, we don't under, we, our agents are great at what they do, but they don't know the technology. So they started hiring technologists to be embedded in the cyber squads. And so I was one of the first 20 hired and here in the Houston office, I transferred to Houston in 2011. And I be, you know, they start saying here, 
So they t train us on digital forensics. They train us on reverse engineering malicious software. They train us on all of this in incident response and this really cool stuff and give us this huge skill set. Well, at the time, it's all classified, right? In 2012, the only cyber crime, quote unquote, that's going on is inter international. It's Russia, China, right. Iran, a little bit of North Korea when they get upset about a movie being made <laughs> that makes their their you know their their supreme leader looks bad. <laughs> and so we're doing this almost counterintelligence work in the in the cyber world. So we're chasing each other around. And and when I would do, you know, interviews at the time, I couldn't even talk about it. Everything was classified. Well, that changes. 2013, 2014, 2015, we start to see Home Depot, eBay, Yahoo these attacks start hitting corporate America. See, this just doesn't feel like that long ago. Like today, so again, <laughs> yeah. time stamping some things is not what we, but today is September 11th it is. and it's 2023. So you're talking 22 years ago right. for 9-11, obviously. That seems, I mean, obviously everybody immediately knows where they were so you can put yourself back, but right. that's still a, a two decades ago thing. So that seems like, all right, I'm sure a lot's changed by then. You start talking 2014, 2015, as you just mentioned, that, you know, those, that's yesterday. Yeah. That doesn't feel that long ago. But that's why cybersecurity in, is so fascinating is a decade ago, we didn't talk about cybersecurity. Think about how new cybersecurity is. A year, a, a decade ago, to me. Right. we had firewall, we had an endpoint, we had a, a, a backup. That's all that's we all needed. And that was really just part of the IT stack. It was part of the IT yep. that we sold. But now it's different. It's and, and so even cybersecurity companies back then, I've estimated there were probably 500 cybersecurity companies in 2013, maybe less. I mean, it was firewall companies. It was there were a few, very small, very small. number, you know, very and it niche. was yeah. yeah, and it was very niche market. Now there's 4,200, and it's growing so fast. Every year there were 800 less a year ago. That's last year I quoted 3,400 cybersecurity companies. Now it's 4,200 is the number I've heard. That's crazy. And, but the, then the problem comes is as we start talking about cybersecurity huh. and talk about executives, how do you navigate how that? How do you navigate that? Uh, you know, so when I was a CISO, when I was a chief security officer, as soon as I changed my title on LinkedIn, I received somewhere between 12 and 15 unsolicited tech requests a week. People hitting my inbox. Ch changing it from what to what? Um, so I was a, I was a, a primary technologist or a, a pre-sales technologist for Hewlett Packard Enterprise before okay. that. Um, so I became a chief security officer. Got and, it. and so if you're a, a chief technical officer, if you're a chief financial, any sort of C-level or an IT manager, you are getting bombarded by tech requests in your inbox. How do you, and, and they're like, they, they, when I tell them that, they all laugh. Every one of your, everyone will laugh and say, you are absolutely correct. Wow. And so they ignore it. Yep. So if you're, an, if you're selling IT or you're selling technology and you're following that same mindset of, I'm going to call this guy and they're going to ignore you. If you go, cold calling doesn't work. Cold emails don't work. So instead, what we have to look at is how do we then, my job, what I see, my job is to provide options. You know, if a company says, I need a project, someone told them they need something, cybersecurity related. Right now, the way they do it is they ask around, does anybody know a good endpoint product? Oh, I heard a company called CrowdStrike. Okay, we'll call them. And it becomes almost a sole source contract in a way. And it's a great product, but is it the right product? Right. right. 
you know. It's and, almost, and that's even if they ask. I always joke with Josh. I'm like, a lot of people still go to Google. I'm like, right. I'm like, I don't understand. I'm like, you, you know, if you are going on vacation, you ask your friends, hey, what's the best hotel? What's this? What's yeah. that? But for your most, uh -huh. to secure your company, you'll be like, oh, what are the top 10 uh, exactly. solutions and, for... And, and, and CompTIA yeah. says that's that. what went to my head just yeah. now was when you were describing that thing. And I guess I would just Google something. And that's what, what, what CompTIA says. CompTIA says 60% of people will Google for a cybersecurity product. So think about that. You Google it and you get the searches. So so real quick, yeah. do you? Uh, I'm sure Richard explain to you the premise of this podcast right of what it really is the it crowd yeah okay and just for the audience we're our audience is growing here and what what the goal here is it's the it crowd is it's the the play on words between the it meaning the it crowd and yep. then the it meaning the the c-suite right and then connecting these two and because honestly what we realized was a lot of our friends uh in both spaces whether it be the it crowd or the the c-suite they they kind, excuse me, kind of understand each other, but then they don't. <laughs> right. And that was okay. I didn't realize that was okay. I don't want to say okay. It That was, but I'm going to use that word for, for this sentence. That was okay in 2015, right? Right. Which doesn't seem like that long ago, but all of a sudden in 2023, that just doesn't seem okay. They, they've got to be speaking the same language. And the one of the ideas for this podcast name was, you know, what's my password? That was an idea because <laughs> yeah. really... You, you have these CEOs that are very smart people, CFOs, et cetera, CTOs, or not CTOs much, but the, the CEOs, very smart. They don't have time to go learn right. this, and they've got to learn and understand this, at least from a basic level of what they're buying into. Because if they don't, this is one of those things, what you don't know can hurt you. Well, and, and to that point, here's the problem, though. They, they still think anything technology and cybersecurity in their mind is still a technology. They go to their IT people and say, make it happen. Make it happen. But their IT people don't know security either. And that's because of the complexity of the marketplace. So one of the things I tell companies is, first of all, we have to recognize that security and IT are separate. They are separate skill sets. If you go to your IT people, for example, and say, we want to install CrowdStrike, they don't know CrowdStrike any more than you do. They really don't in general, unless you're lucky and you have somebody on your staff who has a little bit of experience. Right. But how are they going to learn? YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. They're going to do the same thing or they're going to go to the CrowdStrike and they're going to watch their, their videos. But then that's marketing and sales. Exactly. And what I'm trying to do is get people to understand marketing and sales is great at what they do. And like, you know, if you go do a, a search on Google, what pops up first at the top of your search? Whoever paid for advertising, exactly. the top advertising and paid space. And so like I teach at, you know, Lone Star and I teach, uh, you know, the Google algorithm. The Google algorithm is completely tunable by money. Yeah. And so CrowdStrike is great. You know, you know, companies like that. But what ends up happening is, is that they people believe that, oh, that must be the most successful yeah. hit. And they, they just click and buy because it's a project. So the first thing I always tell executives, first, we have to recognize that IT and security are separate skill sets. The other thing that and this this one kind that, of that would not be something that I think most people would understand. Yeah, I mean, correct. I, I wouldn't think that I would think that the IT guy or girl understands that. They're the, yeah. But they don't. They don't. And, and then the other side is incident response. When bad occurs, incident response is not an IT issue. You need to do something separate. So for story time, I was on a cruise here out of Galveston in, in January, and you know, I always laugh, FBI people are always listening, right? That's you know, law enforcement. If you have law enforcement friends, they're always listening to what's going on. They're watching what's going on. And so I'm eating, and this lady next to me says, are you kidding me? They're in my network again. 
So while I'm eating, I hand her a card, you know, and it says, you know, cybersecurity, whatever. And I said, I'm not selling anything. I just want to talk to you. So after she finishes, she said, I run a small bank. Um, six months ago, somebody got into my chief financial officer's email account and started sending out fraudulent invoices. $5,000 here, $4,000 here. Nickel and diming. Sounds it. just like our friends. They just got exactly what happened. $75,000 later, somebody figured out uh -huh. this had happened. And they, what did they do? They said they went to the IT people and said, fix it. IT team has a typical way of fixing things. And I'm not trying to, I, I love my IT and I'm an yeah. IT guy. But in this particular case, they did a very common Let thing. me see if I can guess it. Okay. Because I can tell you. Three things they do. Okay, this this other group shut down the emails. Okay. They um, open another set of accounts and then they now are hand delivering checks. Wow, that's even more extreme than this. And because they don't know what else to do. Right. Okay. So they reset all the passwords. Okay. Reloaded the machines that were infected and rebooted. That's just, I feel like that's just unplugging it and plugging it back right. in. Is that, that blowing on the Nintendo disc? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the old, it's the old, the old uh, remember right. when we used to have to polish the yeah. CDs yeah. because of, or the DVDs because we're like, yeah. Is that the equivalent of what we're talking about here? And so, because I feel like I could be an IT director. If and that's so the it. IT people came back and said, we fixed it. Two months later, they're back doing the same thing over again. And then she said to the IT team, you said you fixed it. They did the same thing again. It happened three times in a row. And I said, ma'am, you have to hire a incident response company. I said, the other thing is you got to recognize, and I wasn't trying to be, I, I'm not, I don't sell fear. I think the days of selling fear in cybersecurity are oh, over. Sure. I think yes. it's a bad idea. But I said, but you're not GLBA compliant right now. As a bank, you're required to be GLBA compliant, and the Federal Trade Commission can now fine you because you've had a breach now for six months. You'd never notified them because you thought you handled it. Right. And, and so I said, go to your insurance company, talk about an incident response company, and bring someone in to fix it and fix it right. So, look, I understand your point of, and Richard, please just tell me to stop talking anytime you want, but I'm, I'm, I'm so mesmerized by this stuff, but I understand the, the need for not selling fear, right? That's, yeah. that's the, I, I get that if you're selling, you know, a car. Yeah. You're like, hey, your car's going to break down. You need to buy this car. <laughs> right. Like that's a, that doesn't make sense to me. My warranties, right? My, no, no. Yeah, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> but like, that's exactly what that is. Right. A great example. This is not, this does not feel the same to me. This is a very much of a warning of every little business, every big business, that I don't feel that this is much of a fear as it is a legitimate warning that there are bad attackers uh, out there right now that want that that would love five thousand dollars from you and five thousand dollars from you and et cetera, to where they just want five. They're not they're not looking for fifty thousand right. dollars. If they get five from you, that's great. And all of a sudden you're hacked and you're screwed up and you've got to you know whatever. So I don't know if. I just don't feel like quote unquote selling fear is so bad because it it does feel like the warnings this is this is one of those things where the warnings aren't going to get through well instead on their own. Am I wrong on that? I don't I don't I don't look at it as selling fear. What I what I always tell people is it's about managing your risk, right? Yep. And everybody has everybody has a certain amount of risk that they're willing to take. Sometimes dollars dictate that too, right? Like of course, everybody would want to sure. have every tool that they, but you can't afford it all. So it's really our job to sit there and tell people, okay, like here's what all these things provide, right? Here's your budget, right? Let's go with what's gonna be the most effective for your dollars now, because this this will give you 
a risk level that you can tolerate and then next year we do another one and next year we do another one and and we kind of build it that way right but it's really explaining the risk of what of 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 what happens if they don't take these steps right rather than you two are both experienced with this i'm i'm a newbie like my role in this podcast has been i told richard i wanted to be the guy Mm -hmm. that asked the dumb questions because i'm just shocked by it yeah and that's where every page i turn i'm like this can't be real oh it is it's absolutely real. That's the problem is, is it like, and, and, you know, we talk about it, you know, large companies, the fortune 500 in general, get it. The issue we're running into right now though, is, is there's so much that doesn't get it. And that's where I don't sell fear as much as awareness. Right. Let's call it awareness right. versus that's fear. a much better right. way of saying it. Okay. I like it that way. So school districts, we've seen very large attacks against school districts in the United States, Los Angeles school district, Minneapolis school district, Des Moines school district have been hit with ransomware attacks and have been forced to pay. What? Or municipalities. The city of Dallas. Dallas got hit, and right now they say the number is over $9 million for their remediation efforts. You know, so, and so I see small cities. We saw 14 small towns. What would somebody want with a school district? It's all about money. It's all about money. It's all about information. Like we're shutting you down or pay us X. Or they steal the court. So what happened in Los Angeles, and there's, this is just the beginning of the iceberg. They stole all the data of all their students. They stole all the medical data oh of all of the students. So there's HIPAA issues yeah. now because in you know some cases, uh, children that were being treated through uh, um, you know uh, section fi- you know fifty or whatever it is where they had special needs, sure. those are now exposed. So the 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 criminal is looking at anything I can monetize. And there's a I think it was Jimmy or I think it was uh, uh, Warren Buffett said that data is the new oil. Right. And so a ransomware attack is simply a denial of service attack against your data, denying you access to the data and saying, I will give you that data back if you pay me. But the second level of extortion now is this idea of I steal your data and if you don't pay me, I will make that data public, which is reputation damage, risk and reputation. The third level we're starting to see is they will go in the data itself and see if there's anybody inside that data they can exploit. So there was a, it's a very kind of low grade attack that they don't talk too much about, but there was a plastic surgeon that got hit in Beverly Hills. 12,000 clients, including 5,000 A-listers. Of those A-listers, many of them denied ever having yeah. a ransom, ever having uh, plastic surgery. So the criminals had stole before and after pictures of their plastic surgery and threatened to expose that if they didn't pay. Who paid, we don't know. Right. So it's all about how do I generate revenue? Right. And the saddest thing about cybersecurity right now is it is the easiest, there is a 1,300% return on investment in ransomware attacks right now. I, as a bad guy, here's how simple it would be for me if I wanted to be bad. I go out on the dark web, I can buy 100,000 email addresses for, it's about a dollar a piece, let's say $100,000, right? So I go out there and I buy for 100,000, it's actually probably cheaper than that but I buy 100,000 email addresses. I then contact a ransomware group and say, I wanna lease, seriously, lease your ransomware for an attack. Oh my God. They will I'm not sure you... we, have to, we can air this. We... <laughs> I'm serious, like, I'm not sure I wanna give people this much. But it's out there, but it's, yeah. out it's already there. out there. Yeah, it's out there. And, 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 Jesus. and so then I then, I will pay them 40% of my profit for leasing their ransomware. I then just send, they send me a link I include that link in my in my email and I send it out to those 100,000 people. Statistically, 8% of those emails, somebody will click on that link. So of 100,000 people, 8,000 people click on that link and are now infected with ransomware. And of that, 50% will pay the ransomware 
and it's somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars wow. of home users. Figure the number. Four thousand people clicked on that link. Let's say it's a thousand dollars to keep it a nice, you know, you know, round number, right? So now it's what four million dollars I made. I give one point six million to the bad guys. I keep two point four million on a hundred thousand dollar, you know, investment. That's and now with investment, investment, yep. right? And that's the thing that I tell our friends. It's like you have to understand that because what do we hear all the time? I'm too small. Nobody's going to attack me. Yeah. Blah, blah. You have to think about it. I was telling the way you think about your business. How do I maximize my profits? How am I going to get the most uh -huh. out of this tool? How am I going to get the most out of this well? How am I going to get the most? That's the way that criminals think. Yeah. You know, the way when I look, audience, I was legitimate when I said we may not want to say this out loud because I don't <laughs> want to give them ideas. The look that both of them gave you should look, check out our YouTube page. <laughs> but I'm serious. The look that both of them gave me that I'm talking about something that is. Google it. Apparently, it's it's you can find it. Apparently, or Chat GPT. Chat GPT. It and it's that easy. That is amazing. And there's a new version. I feel of, like that's something that yeah. my God, we can't give away this yeah. great secret. You're like, what are you guys talking about? This happens all the time. Well, like now, there's a new Chat GPT that actually links into the dark web. Yes, it does. Called Worm GPT. Worm GPT. Oh my! God. And it actually well. So here's the, here's the problem we run into, right? So we, we you and I were talking a little bit. Before I don't know. About, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is unbelievable. It, but it, here's the. These are technologists. If we think about the, the criminals on the other side, the, the, the ransomware people, many of them are extremely intelligent, very smart people. And like I was talking to a, a professor from Romania. I met her at some event and she said, I can't stop these kids from going and being criminals because it pays. It pays. Whether it, you know, in, in our age, Jeez. in the 80s and the 90s, drugs paid or, or gang activity paid. Now in many countries, if you can, if you can write some code, Man, there is a group that will pay you to write code. This does not get better, does it? It's just like no. the, the defenders have to keep defending. Well, but the good news is, is that criminals are lazy. Here's the here's oh. the, the the bonus like greed, of it. Greed is yeah. greed never stops. Right. So what we have to do from a defensive standpoint is add enough walls for them to jump over. And this was uh, the Verizon data breach report said this: if the more things they have to hurdles they have to jump over the less likely they are, are to be successful they'll move on so it's like the idea of of why do i put the adt or the you know my alarm sign in my front yard uh, and you talk to any police officer say that's a deterrent the barking dog even if there's no barking dog even if you just have a recording of a barking dog with your ring doorbell um, that deters the criminal to go someplace oh you well lit up yeah so these are the things about cybersecurity is it's not just about deploying more tech. Instead, it's about making sure that the technology is, is connected, that it overlaps in a way. So that if a bad guy defeats one, one technology, another technology is there to pick it up. In the military, it would be you know, uh, overlapping fields of fire. You know, we, we have to make sure that that cybersecurity mesh, and one of my companies I work with, that's the term they use, the mesh has to be such that there are there's something, you know, if, if somebody defeats my endpoint protection, whether it's CrowdStrike or Sentinel One or whatever the tech is, somebody, uh, somebody is watching that fence and saying, whoa, that got defeated and let you know or fix it for you. Right. And that's why we're starting to see this rise of managed services. Um, we can't do it alone anymore. Um, most mid-sized companies in particular have somewhere between three and eight IT people. They may not even have a body dedicated to security. So instead, what we need to start looking is how can I look outside of my ecosystem? We did this years ago with help desks, where we sent all of our help desks overseas, you know, and now we're in that same mindset with cybersecurity. 
we have to have more of a conversation about, is it feasible? Is it cost effective? Is it within my risk tolerance to allow somebody else to manage my environment 24 seven? Because the other thing about criminals is they're not in the United States, yeah. they're outside. And every ransomware attack, I will say 98, 99% of ransomware attacks occur on the weekends or on a holiday. Because they're not at no work or they're bored. Right, or oh. they're, but they're at work. If they're out of Russia, if they're out of China, if they're out of, we just had one rise up in Vietnam, um, they are, that's their work hours. Five o'clock on a Friday for a criminal is, you know, early morning here or 8 a.m. on a Monday is midnight here or something along those. Lines. So how packed are your Lone Star classes? Are more and more kids trying to sign up for this? Yeah. So it's please tell me that this. Yeah. Is so it's kind of cool. The way Lone Star did it was Lone Star created a cadre system um, and they, they would take us 24 at a time or 30 at a time. Um, and I think when I joined two years ago, we had two or three cadres. I think we just increased that. So we, we have a, a waiting list of people trying to get Not into good. the cybersecurity program. Good, good. And we got some great, we've got some great instructors. I mean, I'm, I'm an adjunct technically. I got way too many other things to do, be a full time, but we got some great instructors and teaching good classes and constantly looking at the current state of things to improve it. Cause I what, tell, what about the know, kids in the class? Do they seem on yeah, top of it? Yeah, there's some great, you know, there's some great kids coming out from some of the IT, you know, and I think that's interesting as we were talking about some IT people would be great cybersecurity people. And so there are people that have been a career in IT who are coming in uh, that I believe are going to walk right into great jobs and great placement. Um, where we got some internship programs growing, you know. And Lone Star is a two-year college, but yeah. this is a four-year degree. So we've actually uh, we are one of the first in the state to offer a and online as well. We can do it online. So I teach mostly online courses. Um, but it's I tell every parent if your kid doesn't know what they want to do get into cybersecurity. Because five years ago, we were talking about this before, eight years ago when I, I was like, what am I gonna do when I retire? Right. Because at the time I was a network guy, I was a technologist, maybe I'd do digital forensics. But cybersecurity rises up and it's like, well, there's my career path. I mean, right. Right. <laughs> laid out in front of me. Uh. And so many of my FBI friends are now running companies, they're out there. So if you go to like, like Black Hat or you go to some of these big cyber conferences, we have this FBI reunion of all of these cyber bodies that are there. When I was at RSA, right before COVID, it was like literally right before COVID, there were like 18 or 20. What does RSA you know, stand for? Uh, RSA is a company, It's oh. um, uh, but they have a big RSA. It's the biggest cybersecurity conference okay. in the United States in San Francisco every year. Um, and uh, there's it's all ex-FBI. Well, on off air, you said that a lot of your former, we're in Houston, yep. and a lot of your former FBI friends are now working with the oil and gas companies oh, yeah. and you've talked to them yourselves, oil yeah. and gas companies. What is, what does that look like for them these days? Oil and gas is complex, right? So it's, it's a crazy, it's a kind of a crazy environment. Um, most of them get it. They understand they've, they've known that they've been in an attack surface. And, in, and some of that goes back to the old Saudi Aramco attack of 2012, where uh, there was an attack against the Iranians uh, with um, uh, Stuxnet was the name of the attack against Iranian. Uh, Iranian uh, nuclear enrichment plants. Iran retaliated by going after Saudi Aramco and destroyed 35,000 computers, destroyed those computers. They had to buy new computers. Um, and so oil and gas gets it. Where the issue with oil and gas comes is, is kind of three areas. One is age of systems. Um, they have a lot of, we'll call them operational technology systems that are, are tied to, you know, like the, the oil platforms or tied to pipelines. They work, they and 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 they're old, so they're supported with old operating systems or old technology. But you can't really 
replace them because how do you replace something that's actively monitoring the oil flow in, in a particular pipeline segment? So age of systems has created a problem. The second issue is, is that it sort of ties into that. Any operational technology system overrules security in many cases. So we saw that in nuclear power plants. We've seen that in water treatment plants. I can't turn that off. There's no redundancy built into that system. So if I wanted to upgrade that system, how would I do mm -hmm. that? So instead, what we start to do is we try to create security systems in parallel that monitor them, but they can't really do anything if something bad occurs. The third issue we see in oil and gas is, is mer merger and acquisition. Is It's not the big companies that necessarily have their issues, but when they acquire mom and pop oil, you know, in Beaumont, for example, mom and pop oil didn't have any security tied into it. Right. And it's not, even though you can look at them and you understand the risk of that environment, you're not going to just absorb that system in. It's going to be a, a, a cascaded, you know, approach. So that's where a lot of, that's what we run into is oil and gas has, those are some big challenges. And then they're international. The fourth over the top is they're international. They have relationships with oil and gas companies around the world. And so now we get into some of the geopolitical, like, for example, we had an oil and gas executive that was in a foreign country, we'll say. And uh, he had his laptop with him. And his laptop, he had used it to do a presentation for a, uh, they were trying to bid on a contract for this oil and gas company. He leaves, as he's leaving, he puts it into, at the airport, he puts this into the x-ray machine. You remember the movie Gone in 60 Seconds, the original one with uh, yeah. uh, Steve McQueen? The woman oh. puts her, her uh, Mach 1 into the, you know, the, uh, the car wash and never comes out the other end. His laptop doesn't come out the other end. And he's yelling at these people, what about my laptop? An hour later, his laptop comes out. It had been taken apart. Oh my Somebody had made an image of his laptop and given it to him. And he goes, "You, what did you do to my laptop? They said, get out of our country. He lost the contract. They lost the bid because somebody had gotten into his laptop. There was really no security tied around that laptop. They'd seen his, now his numbers. They knew what number they were, and they got underbid by a local company. That's the world we live in, and that the rules that apply and the rules of fair play that are here in the United yeah. States don't apply don't in apply. other countries. And this wasn't even a, get this should, was a you should regulate this, you should do other things, term, oh. but another country. And so when we look at that bidding of contracts internationally, we have challenges, um, and it doesn't matter what you know. You know, it, we have to recognize that security is is is. Uh, Everything we do, not just in IT, but everything we do, every interaction we have with other companies, there is some corporate espionage that will be tied into it. And cyber has become part of that corporate espionage environment. Okay, let's just take a <laughs> breath here. Let's just grab a glass of water. How's your anxiety? Is your anxiety mine now? But, and I think what's interesting is most of big oil gas gets it. They, they do understand it, but... But well, I don't you know. know. We had a, we had a speaker um, at a conference I went to. I don't know six months ago, eight months ago, and he basically said, "Never take your cell phone to China." No, <laughs> he said, "Never take your cell phone to China." Or I think your laptop or laptops. Well. Yeah, we, yeah, we said and that was and that was thing. We always said, you know, burner phones, yeah. burner laptops. Um, keep everything on a USB stick that's in your pocket. Sleep with it in your pocket. Yeah. Um, there's videos of people like in in China. Um, there's a video of a, a guy. He put up a little camera in his room. Uh, and he, everybody came in his room. Literally, this gang of people came in his room when he went off to a conference, and they're bagging his stuff. They're going through all of his stuff. 
So it's, again, the yeah. rules. Don't apply. Yeah, don't apply. Let's turn to something more enjoyable <laughs> than the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, and something that I'm coming, I came in hot today. Today's a Monday. All right. And, uh, and you gave espresso too. So oh, I love some, dude, We have it. By the way, anybody who's listening, you're welcome to come by the, uh, the offices at Upright Digital, get an espresso. They're delicious. They're delicious. They? Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, we liked our, our espressos here. Um, I love ChatGPT. And what it does for, and I've, I've been playing with it as much as possible. And I use kind of chat GBT as an overarching term for all things AI. And I know that's yeah. not true, but I, that's not like, you should see this chat GBT. Like, well, Josh, that's not chat GBT. That's, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but like, how familiar, familiar are you with that type, with chat GBT? And I'm joking when I say that, yeah. but I just mean the chat GBTs, the AIs, the, the new technologies, if you will, that are coming out, yeah. the efficiencies they offer, but some of the dangers as well. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's, um, I guess the biggest thing, yeah, I mean, and we've we've been having this conversation for years, unfortunately. Um, you know, we'd seen the rise of, you know, initially it was called machine learning was the term that came out initially, you know, is, uh, for a lot of these technologies. And we saw it with deep fakes, for example, video fakes that were starting to come yeah. out. And that was an early idea around this AI, the ability to, if I can gather enough of a person's face, can I actually then duplicate their face? We're seeing that, we saw that with voice. So even some of the early indicators, and from the FBI, this was the conversations that we'd had of, okay, so how would we know if somebody sent a deep fake video of someone, let's say someone important? Um, so, when ChatGPT comes out, they've just commercialized a technology that was already pretty embedded in a lot of stuff that's out there already, okay. both defensive. So there's a lot of companies out there that use AI currently um, in a defensive role to protect companies from cyber attacks or cyber events. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to anticipate when somebody fishes my chief financial officer, for example, what are the possible avenues beyond that. So there's always a predictive attempt of, well, maybe what I should do is next thing I should monitor is see if anybody accesses his email system from an, a foreign, you know, a foreign IP address. So that's already been in there. The problem with chat GPT, and I think Richard, you and I were talking about this before, is it's now available to everybody. Right. Um, and so if I'm a bad guy and I'm not, I'm not tech savvy, or let's just say I wanna be quicker, now what I would do is if I scan an environment, let's talk about it from a cybersecurity. If I scan the server of an environment and it says, oh, that's an Apache server version, whatever. Well, now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go on the internet and say, are there any known vulnerabilities? And this is a very common reconnaissance. Oh, They're gonna say, are there any known vulnerabilities for that version of Apache? And it will come back with CVEs. We call them CVEs, right? So what's a CVE? Um, it is a uh, vulnerability, uh, Common vulnerability, or it's it's a term. I can't okay. remember what the you know. Yeah. Uh, but CV, yeah. com common vulnerability, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, common vulnerability. It's it's a. So what companies are required to do now is when a vulnerability is found, they have this this uh, they create this CVE that says we identify that we know this we know this exists. We put a number on it. It's registered in an international or national thing of database of these okay. these uh, vulnerabilities, and then they keep apprised of when they will patch it. Well, some of them take forever to patch, um, you know, or don't get patched because they're almost impossible. So in this particular case, once I identify that you know, version of that software, there may be known vulnerabilities that are being actively being patched. So now what I do with ChatGPT is I go, 
chat GP, you know, I go to my chat GPT and I say, write me a Python script to exploit oh CVE da, da 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 on Apache server at IP address, bah. And it kicks out my code. So now what it does is it literally writes the code for so me. So this is making an, a dumb criminal smart. It, it's going to it's going to accelerate. It's going to make them more efficient. More efficient. Oh, yeah. So it accelerates my. So we talk about vulnerabilities. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry. You wanted to you wanted to bring it down. Yeah. You, you walked me into another or whatever. So but what I it mean, it made me doing, a pretty cool T-shirt uh, logo. <laughs> <on me. laughs> but so what we have to think about is, how, and I ask this question when I do my. So I I, I am a product agnostic consultant for companies. Okay. Right. I talk to companies. So one of my questions is. How long would it take you to identify a vulnerability in one of your servers? How long? Once you have, once you identify it, how long would it take you to patch that vulnerability? And we've seen some very large breaches over the last, like Move IT. Move IT is a very large vulnerability in a IT. It's just a software for moving tech, moving data from place to place. They had a huge vulnerability. It's been exploited. There are over a thousand data breaches associated with that one vulnerability of Move IT, um, and so the criminal is looking to exploit these vulnerabilities, especially the ones that are already known. I'm lazy. Remember, I'm a criminal. No. So this is kind of like the Hyundai car being. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about that. My daughter's Kia Soul got stolen out of her, her you know, because they there's a way to yeah. get in there, and then these kids put it on TikTok, took a video of them joyriding in her car and destroying her car, you know. So yeah, it's exactly the same idea. So the criminal says, well, wow, I have this easy to do, and they exploit. So what it means now is, is that it, it raises the bar from a defensive standpoint of identifying the vulnerability and patching the vulnerability. Um, and a lot of times companies, it's not a critical vulnerability. So they look at vulnerabilities, they're usually criticals, highs, mediums, and lows. So if a critical vulnerability, most companies are like, oh, I gotta get that patch, but if it's a high or a medium, it falls lower down that stack. But what if I know if I know if I know that that high vulnerability gives me administrator access to the entire environment? So that's what we have to recognize is that that's another aspect of cybersecurity that, you know, we have to be better. Um, a couple years ago, we had one called, um, uh, uh, Log4j, big vulnerability came out about two years ago. And it was in, um, I think it was Linux servers, the way they log data in that server. And it was a huge vulnerability. And, and every, they said, patch that vulnerability, patch that vulnerability. They still believe that there are thousands, thousands. of Log4j servers out there unpatched. And the reason is, it's either what you said earlier, I'm a small company, nobody cares. Yes, they do. Of course they do. Do you care about your data? Yes. You, of course you care about data. We're about, about to go back data. to pad and paper. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and I mean, I can tell you here in Houston, I have gone to very small companies that have been hit by ransomware. And I've walked, I've walked in the door and I said, I, when I was with the FBI, I presented my credentials and I said, hey, I'd like to talk to your IT person. You guys were hit with ransomware yesterday. What are you talking about? I know you were hit with ransomware yesterday. How do you know that? FBI, right? I mean, you know, we're we're trying to be proactive. The FBI did, did they not um, want didn't know about it, and they just oh, they didn't knew want to about it and didn't want to talk about it. Okay, and that's very common in, in ransomware right now. Ransomware or any sort of data breach, we typically because of reputational damage, we figure if we keep it quiet, nobody will know. But the criminal knows, and now the criminals are actually publishing people they've exploited to embarrass you further yeah. and and force you to pay. 
So, and, and that's why the SEC has recently changed its rules for publicly traded companies saying you are now required, if you're a publicly traded company, to notify the SEC within four days, four days. of a breach. So, yeah, I know Richard brings this up a couple times to our, our C-suite friends. Can you expand on that just a, a little bit further? That Give the whole the audience the entire yeah, description so, of that. So a publicly traded company is, uh, they are required to, you know, they're before I think the requirement was, I think it was nebulous. I'm not sure if it was even, if there was it a time frame. I don't yeah. think it was defined. So anytime a, a publicly traded company suffers a significant, and there's a term in there, it's like, it's not significant, it's in an, a, there's a there's a term they are required to notify the SEC through certain you know uh, filings that a breach has occurred um, the problem has been because it was nebulous um, people took a long time to notify or they made the decision that it wasn't significant enough to notify the SEC but then the breach became publicly available a year later and the SEC came back and said you didn't tell us about this and there were some big breaches around that uber was one where they were actually there was uh, their chief security officer was charged with falsifying right. documents for for his sec filings mm. and what they're really doing what's interesting about it is a lot of people kind of clamoring there's some there's a lot of screaming at congress around this but in other countries the, the requirement is lower gdpr in the europe requires i think it's three days for a data breach you have to notify the you know the company one of my Indian friends no, you said, mean notify notify the country the, the country. So, yeah the attorney general or whoever yeah. the you know there's a they actually have now, a data why, privacy group why do they want to be notified is that to protect investors is that to make sure that there's a record of it's it it's to protect the it's actually to protect the citizens the citizens it's to protect prevent, protect the data of the people that are being affected so if you look at Uber or look at like Yahoo there were 1.8 billion you know yeah. uh, email addresses compromised the belief is that it's more of a consumer protection aspect okay. than it is really the corporate corporate protection. Okay. And but it's also shareholder. So the SEC's thought process is I'm protecting the the stakeholder of that company from and it really comes out of I hate to say it sort of an Enron. It, it, it's sort of tied into that Sarbanes Oxley, which came out of the Enron debacle. We of course we know that here in Houston too well. That says you have the responsibility to be truthful in your filings to your shareholders and to the SEC. And so other countries were already requiring these filings, already required. Now the question that comes up is well, what about- we were too, you know, we just weren't doing it with any timely. kind of- well, okay. right. yeah. yeah, and so how do you then hold somebody accountable if, yeah. there's, if, if you say you have to report it? I did report it yeah. two years later. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me I had to do it. So this is simply putting some teeth on the back end of it of okay. saying, and, and I don't, we had, I was actually at a conference a couple of weeks ago here in Houston and we talked about this. I don't think they're going to get, they're going to jam you up for a five day reporting. They're not going to jam you up for, you know, reporting the breach in four days and then it becomes more significant later. It's the person that doesn't file at all and then it becomes publicly known or the company that says it's not anything and then a year later, all of their data is poured out into the internet and, and that's what they're trying to prevent. Yeah. I believe that I, that's my understanding is what they're doing. And there, I mean, and there are advantages to the company itself, right? Number one is to protect the consumer, but number two is obviously if a breach is big enough, it gives everybody else awareness that this is out there, right? It gives law enforcement, you know, they can sit there and, and go and, and communicate it and say, Hey, we found this, everybody who's got this, like, let's fix this. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's their company advantages. As do well. they ever find any of these people that do this stuff? Oh yeah, there's oh fines are all the time, and right now no no uh, no, no. find oh yes. It's low, and that's the problem, right? And a lot of times these people are operating outside the United States yeah. um, and in countries that might protect them. We've seen that with Russia, of course, um, mm-hmm. the ransomware groups, and the criminal groups that operate there. Um, and it's interesting now, especially with kind of the, the military action that's going on there in Ukraine, um, There's an op- a lot of companies are taking an opportunity to break down the infrastructure of Russian groups. Um, so I think as whenever this ends, a lot of the Russian groups won't have near as a, the, as much access. Mm. But it's low. It's very very low prosecution That's rate. In fact, um, it's lower prosecution rate than the the global drug trade. And so there have been indications that global drug groups are starting to try to get involved in some cyber crime because they can make money at a lower yeah, arrest less rate. risk. So it's it's that's why I'm and it and so what I've gotten to the mindset and this is why I don't sell fear anymore. It doesn't even matter who's attacking uh, okay. you. Okay. <laughs> well, but my mindset—it's awareness. Yeah. And it's—it's it's the idea of it doesn't matter who's attacking you. You will be attacked. Oh gosh. Yeah. Statistically, every company will be attacked. It's a twenty-five percent number in any given year. If I was to stand on January one and, t- and talk to a company, I'd say the odds. And it doesn't matter even IT firms. You have a twenty-five percent chance this year of suffering a significant data breach or ransomware attack or an account takeover. Roll the dice. Now the question is: Is can you can you be successful to drive off that attack? Right. And there are ways to be successful. There are technologies out there. There are there are ways to uh, get help to protect your networks. We don't have to do it alone. I think that's one of my biggest messages now is um, the days of living on an island. And it used to be that way. I've been an IT manager. You've you know I am responsible for my company. I can't get any help outside of it. I think those days are gone. Even even a big thing we see is advisory services or the term virtual CISO. You may not be big enough to hire a chief security officer, but you still need to have an incident response plan. You still yep. need a disaster recovery plan. We can we can provide somebody who will give you four hours or you know twenty hours a month to write those plans, right. test those plans. So you don't have to do it alone. I think that's my one of my biggest messages is and, and I'm not you know, the cool thing about cybersecurity is, and what's different than a lot of other technologies is, you have a roadmap. You were talking about this a little earlier. Create a roadmap of, my budget only allows me to do one major project a year. Fine, but move, don't sit still. Right. And so cybersecurity maturity, which is sort of another term that we're starting to see rise, I ask every company, I say, grade yourself on a one, a zero to five. Where are you in cybersecurity maturity? Every company will typically overrate themselves. Okay. I say that sometimes in dating, you know, where somebody will over, you know, I'm a seven or whatever, right? You know, and I, you know, whatever that term is. Um, but, but what I end up doing is when you actually sit down and then do a true assessment of their environment and you show them the gaps that are there, they go, okay, maybe I'm not a three, maybe I'm a two. Well, what what does cybersecurity maturity mean to you then? I mean, what, is, what does that mean? So it's, it's, that, it's, the, it's the depth of, do you have policies in place? Have you tested those policies and procedures? Do you have training for your people? Okay. Do you have a, do you have a policies? A, a, and- yeah. So for example, do you have like a banner uh, that pops up on your machine if you want to do monitoring? Um, do you do, you know, monthly, you know, phishing testing, but then not just testing, but if people continue to fail that testing, are you actually right. taking positive mm-hmm. action against that person that fails? Right. Um, then we get into the technology stack. But even before that, we talked about this before, do you have a cybersecurity strategy? From that strategy, do I have technology agnostic outcomes? 
I'm worried about ransomware. Okay, cool. I'm worried about account takeover. I'm worried about not being compliant. These are considered outcomes. So then when I start mapping the people, the process, the policy, and the technology to those outcomes, I don't walk into a trade show and, and get bombarded by all of the, the sales and marketing people saying, my product is the best thing since sliced bread, because I'm like, how does that map to my technology? My strategy today is to prevent ransomware. How does that map to my ransomware prevention or, or, or re resilience, right? Cybersecurity resiliency. And those, are the, those help us drive the better conversation. Um, and so when I talk to CISOs all over the you know, city of Houston, all over the United States, that, first of all, it, it says that I'm on your side. I don't necessarily want to sell you technology. If you don't need it, for goodness sake, I don't want to do it. Here's a statistic for you. 90% of companies that are hit with ransomware or an account takeover have more than 10 cybersecurity tools in place the day they're hit. What does that mean to you? Uh, let me answer that. That means that they're not updated or they're not being used properly. Right. Okay. And that's it. And so that's why when I say IT is separate from security, there's another statistic that says as many as 80% of homegrown security projects fail. So a company that does its own security, when they, like for example, two-factor authentication, it's a big technology, multi-factor authentication. They go out, they buy a pro product. There's some out there, Duo, Okta, there's some great products out there. They buy it and they give it to their IT team and their IT say, install this. The IT team does what they've always done when they're installing a product. They put it into their big fix or their IT product. The next time people log in, it downloads the product, it installs the product. I get a notification that that's occurred. But cybersecurity is not about fire and forget. It is about tuning. It is about integrating it with other products. It is about making sure that somebody isn't defeating it. I was talking to an engineering company and this guy made me laugh because he said, engineers are the worst people for cybersecurity because they always think they're smarter than the IT staff. And they're always gonna try to defeat my products by hard coding in, hard coding in you know, passwords hard coding in uh, things to defeat multi-factor authentication, all of this kind of stuff. And so you really have to have an understanding of your ecosystem and every ecosystem is different, um, but recognizing that how am I gonna protect myself from my own, they're not evil insiders, they're just, they wanna do what they wanna do. Right. Well, exactly right. And it's all about education, education number one, but also leadership. Because how many times have we seen, and I've seen it in many, many companies, I'm sure you have too, you install multi-factor authentication, you do all this stuff, and the first thing that comes up is, I hate this, I have to do this, I have to, and you have you have some companies that'll be like, you know what, our people don't like this, problem, and it's gone. Turn it off. Right? right? And they turn it off. Wow. Right? Or think about, I always say, you've heard me say this a million times for oil and gas. In the 70s and 80s, safety was a huge concern. We had all these accidents, Right. Now, you, it became an issue, and that's the number one thing. HSC yeah. statistics start off every meeting. You can't go into a no. major oil field company without having a safety moment to yep. start the meeting, <laughs> and that comes before financials. Cybersecurity should be treated the same way. It has to be because people are your number one liability. You can have all the tools in the world, but if the people don't use them and you know, they aren't You it's funny you bring that up. I, we've got a new, new system now within <laughs> my Microsoft that's making me, when I go into certain programs, I have to do 
as I'm as I'm working, it'll make me take a picture or a face scan yep. to then get into it. And I'm kind of annoyed. I'm like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm moving. I need this thing on now. <laughs> and, I, and I actually looked like, how do I turn this off? And I thought, Josh, don't turn this off. Right. But like that is exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Right. Well, like there's a major huh. breach at a, a major cloud company. We'll just leave it at that. But what happened is, is that um, they fished one of their system administrators. And then it was a two-factor authentication. It was sent a six-digit code to that person's phone. They sent a text message to that particular person saying, hey, this is tech support. We just sent you a six-digit code. Can you send us the code? And he forwarded it yeah. on to the bad guy. And they got system administrator rights into this large cloud environment and stole all of their uh, the, the PowerShell scripts that he'd been writing. So technology without education, without, you know, right. without, without a, a solid... But the other thing is, is that means that there wasn't anything behind the wall. Because there's now a login for this system right. administrator from Singapore. Nobody recognized what we call miraculous travel. This is a great example of this guy had literally just logged in from Los Angeles or something, and then two hours later logged in from Singapore. Well, we should flag that. Right. Your bank would. We should right. A bank would. A bank yeah. would say, wait a second, you just charge like like when I go to Renaissance Festival and and there's all these vendors there, if it goes New York Texas, California, with three separate vendors, that third one gets rejected right. because they're saying, "Oh no, no, no! You're that we don't." This guy do that. can't eat three <laughs> hot, three corn dogs and a chicken. But that's but that's what I'm saying in cybersecurity. That's and yes, it's going to be you know we had one guy who's in a bank in New York and he flew to Bermuda, and it was he he was on the he was actually on the phone on the plane, which he's not supposed to be right. But it flagged him when he logged in from Bermuda because they said, "There's no way you just logged in two hours ago from New York," and it turned off his access. He actually took it the way you said. He goes, I'm okay with that yeah, because that is protecting me. And I just had to call them and have them and explain where I was. We have to start embracing cybersecurity as more. It's not about, we're not trying to make your heart tougher. We're actually, because you know what's going to make your job really tough? Is when you come in on Monday morning and there's ransomware across your entire environment. That's how how rich and iron And you're down for three weeks, you know, so. Richard, is there anything else that we want to touch on here? Because all I can I can hear more terrifying stories. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we could talk about this all day, right? I, know. I mean, it, it's again. I think the the you know the key takeaways are, you know, understand, you know, be aware, be aware, understand your risk, right? How much tolerance do you have for that risk? Mm-hmm. You know, what can you do to prevent sort of things, and reach out, right? Reach out and ask for help. There's plenty of help that's there, and and be a leader, be a leader for your organization, right? Stress, stress the importance of it. It is, to me, the, you know, I graduated college about the time of uh, the bubble, you know, the tech bubble, yep. you know, 2000, 2001 timeframe. And I just, I was, my, I was blown away by all the technology at that time. I just thought, how cool is, is the internet? I still yep. think the internet's amazing, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, it is incredible. And then, you know, then you have five, seven years later of the iPhones and the all the you, this explosion of the actual hardware of what was happening. And then the social medias take off, right? And then that's incredible. And, and everything you do now is on your phone, which is very cool and terrifying in and of itself. But this feels like it's, a lot of it is the internet, I don't want to say 2.0, right? That's kind of cliche, but where, whatever version we are of it now feels very sophisticated. You have a lot of um, smart Technologists that I mean, and with all respect, but you've mentioned that you're retired, right? You're not you're not 21 years old, so you've seen, no. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. and I mean that with yeah. all the respect. Yeah. you've you've seen a development of the 
of a dial-up to where we are today. And you're you're keeping up with the times. There's a 21-year-old kid coming out of school right now that, you know, that girl has only known the fastest, the quickest, the deal. So I Absolutely. mean, we've got to stay alert as humanly possible. <laughs> and by the way, you know, you mentioned third world countries, first world countries. There's a lot of, you know, $5,000 is a lot of money, but it's a ton of money when you have no money. Right. You know? Well, that's exactly. And wealth disparity drives part of this, right? Um, at the same point, let's figure let's figure 5% of the population has IQs over 130. Let's just throw that as a, as a flat number. And well, wherever, you know, one out of, you know, yeah, one out of, one of three of us in this room does not, but that's fine. Keep going. But my point is, is that means that even if you're born into a, a third world country, how, how am I going to make my money? Correct. And so when we look at, and I've actually, and I've, I have, I won't say sympathy, but you know, we've, we've run into very large call centers, scam call centers. So one of the things I do is I do scam awareness presentations for elderly people. And there are call centers in countries like or like Nigeria, India, Pakistan, yeah. where there are thousands of people that yeah. their entire job is calling Americans and trying to get scam them yes. out of money. And it's and and when you talk to them, and I've talked, I've literally have had conversations with them. Who said, but it's a job. I and so I don't. We've got to. We have to recognize. You know, India is the most populous country in the world, or will be very shortly. Two it billion is, people in that in the subcontinent of India. The good news is, is that at the same time, the most cybersecurity companies we're seeing are coming out of India. There's a huge, sure. massive uh, you know, exodus of, of tech companies. But at the same point, there's a lot of people are looking for any job they can Correct. get. And that means that um, wealth disparity will continue to drive it. Yeah. No, you're, listen, that's something we all have to be aware of. And, uh, you know, so the audience listening today, this is this isn't just about your your local credit card at your local bank. This is about your businesses, uh, and it is it is just absolutely amazing. On you know, we've talked about how interns tried to go buy gift cards for me one time. And that was a that was an intern. He was trying to make me happy, and I was like, "Hey, man, I will never text you <laughs> and ask you to buy us gift cards." But he was like, "Well, I I it said from Josh. What's your number? That, exactly." But he and he, right. didn't, he didn't have the right number. Right. He thought, "Man, I'm." I must be texting him from another phone number of mine. Yep. And, you know, those are, and he's a sharp young guy. Right. So it, it's just on alert, head on a swivel type stuff. So this has been unbelievable. Truly, I, I told you I was excited about this one. <laughs> it, this did not disappoint at all. James, is there anything you want us to uh, to leave the audience with or highlight for you that we can that we can highlight for you? Well, that's my thing, is, and I've said this a few times, but don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Okay. Are, You're on LinkedIn. You know, I'm, in, I'm on LinkedIn. Please reach out to James me. James Morrison. Yeah. yeah my, my, my job is simply to talk to companies about cybersecurity in a product agnostic, non-threatening way. Is to help try to help you find options that may be cheaper. I understand budgets. I get it. Yeah. And, and we've got to, we've, we have to be willing to say, I need help. Yeah. To it's Richard's okay. point. It's, it's risk, but it's yeah. risk could be dollars as well. So and, let's and find the best dollar exactly. usage. And what I tell people with cybersecurity is it's farming, not hunting, right? So a lot of sales is 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 hunting. You know, it's 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 I'm driving for a hunt. It's about I wanna I will plant a seed with you today and we will talk over time. And it might be six months down the road, might be a year down the road, might be eighteen months down sure. the road where you'll come back and say, you know what? I'm looking at an endpoint product and this is the one that keeps coming up. What do you think? And I'll say I just want to give you some options, right? Because at the end, at the end of the day, the technology is very similar, and there are there, and, and if, if budget is a concern, and that's why when I talk to school districts, when I talk to you know municipalities, when I talk to nonprofits, and I do that all the time, let me find you something cheaper 
that has probably from your perspective, you aren't going to know the difference between this tech and that tech, but boy, it's going to provide you the same level at a cheaper thing. Mm -hmm. And the same point, here's what's fascinating is about this is if you go straight to the company, you go straight to CrowdStrike, you go straight to somebody, you're paying, you're paying list price. Yeah. You're paying 100% of the price. But if you come to a company like me that does distribution, we have, we're platinum providers of companies like Cisco, companies like CrowdStrike, companies like Sentinel One. I get you at 80%. Don't you want to save some money? And what's cool about it is, is then I bring in a partner and the partner gets paid too. And people go, how do understand? It's all markup. Yeah. So, and, and you now have an, you have a relationship with a company that is, right there too, is wants, is wants to make sure you're secure more and more day after day. CrowdStrike, I love the guys, right? But if you call their tech support line or call Microsoft's tech support line, have you ever been there in that tech support line? It's hours long before somebody will get back to you and, and you're, your system is down for something. Let so. me ask you uh, one more question here t- before you go. Yeah. You mentioned tomorrow is 35 years. Yeah. In your when you signed up for the military. Yeah. Do you remember that day? I remember it like yesterday, which is kind of sad. You're talking about it before. I don't feel that old. I really <laughs> don't. I mean, I, I I try to maintain at a high energy. I, I understand. Clearly. You know. Well, <laughs> and it's and I I remember that day and I remember how old were you when you signed up? I was 21 when okay. I, when I signed up. And you uh, went you in, know. you said, I'm doing this. Well, and I like... 1989, is that what you said? 80, 88. 88, A lot okay. like a young kids, I want to get my degree. And I was I was floundering around in college. I played a couple years of college soccer. Uh, I realized I didn't have a career there. Uh, I didn't want to play football. I had had some so- football offers coming out of school here in Houston. And uh, so I didn't want to play football. So I was like, what do I do with my life? And I was like, well, the military sounds like an option. And it worked. Yeah. Um, eight years later, I had my degree. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a good... I, I mean... I, I'm a believer in service anyways. Yeah. And that was, you know, the FBI was the same thing. What a deal. So, well, listen, 35 years is no joke. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially on today and I'm sure, you know, what was that? 13 years later after you signed up, it was probably an eye opening day, just like for all of us. But yeah. thank you for your service. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, you mentioned retired. You're not a, you're, you're very young to be retired, <laughs> but he meant from his, uh, military and FBI days. And yeah. so thank you for that. Thank you for everything that thank you for your time today. This has been Incredibly educational, entertaining. Your passion, (laughs) your your evangelism is is passion, and uh, I think the audience is going to hear that. So, unless you have anything else, we're good. Uh, Richard, anything else for you, buddy? No, thank you so much for coming, James. I really appreciate it. So, uh, James Morrison available on uh, LinkedIn. If you guys want to get a hold of him, Uh, Richard is also a uh, available on LinkedIn with ClearSync Solutions. Thanks for your time, Richard. Um, Audience, if there's anything you need from us, look us up on all of our social media channels at the It Crowd Podcast. Uh, We are available on LinkedIn and on every one of our uh, social media channels. And apparently we're going to put some hyper security on these. (laughs) So it may take us a while to uh, find you, but look us up and appreciate the audience. Appreciate it. If you have any questions, send those to Richard and we'll get them answered coming up on a couple of uh, uh, new podcasts. But again, James, thank you for your time. Thank you. you The It Crowd podcast is proudly brought to you by the following sponsors. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com. ClearSync Solutions, unifying your technology solutions with simplicity. From M&A integration to global connectivity, 
cybersecurity to manage services. We're your comprehensive partner aligning your business goals with technology for energy, oil and gas, and financial service firms. Trust our proven track record. ClearSync Solutions. One ClearSync, countless possibilities.